After what feels like forever in waiting, but in reality was like a month and a half-ish, I guess. Welcome at last to Season 1, Episode 1 of Climax the Podcast, Love Letter to a Small Town. I'm excited, are you excited? I'm excited most to share these amazing stories and bits of history that I've been able to compile over the last few weeks as I've been working on launching this project. There's some really fun conversations There's a lot of history. I honestly can't even believe some of the stuff that I've been able to uncover and kind of remaster thanks to having access to the archives at Prairie Historical Society. I mean, this is really awesome. You guys are going to get to hear stories from folks who have passed away, in some cases, decades ago. You're going to get to hear those stories from the voices of some of those beloved members of the Climax Scots community. As I alluded to on those first few unofficial episodes... This podcast is going to maintain a rhythm of doing the business up front. As of now, no sponsors or ads or anything. Those things may come with time. But I did have just a few little bits of business I wanted to address about the show overall and a few changes compared to the expectations I kind of set in that episode zero and the Christmas special. First of all, the original idea was to do kind of like a Netflix season drop. But for a variety of reasons, I've made the decision to change from that. First and foremost, when I was home over Christmas, I mean, I was home for a number of days, but so was that darn winter storm that came through, and a lot of the interviews I had really centered around people being able to travel when it just wasn't safe for them, for me, or anyone involved. I kind of had to scrap those plans because the interviews had a certain continuity plan that it's just not going to happen. So that's reason number one why we're going to go to, not necessarily weekly, but at least every couple of days for season one, if not weekly. The second reason for that is I've had quite a few people reach out and tell me things like, I've never listened to a podcast. Yours is the first one. I can't wait to listen to more. And I really don't want to overwhelm people with too much content. In addition to that, I want to be able to spend a good amount of time, whether you want to call it plugging or advertising each individual episode to make each one feel as special as it deserves to be. And I feel like if I do everything at once, I'm just going to be blowing up everyone's Facebook feeds and Twitter and whatnot. And let's be honest, no one on the planet needs to be on social media more, least of all me. So I say all that to say this, these episodes are going to be a little bit of a staggered release. But to make sure you don't miss anything, the easiest thing you can do is subscribe on whatever platform you're listening right now. If you go to any of the Climax the Podcast social media, you'll see a link pinned at the very top of the page. It's a link tree, and that link tree has all the links to all the different ways that you can listen to the show. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and I'm missing several. There's probably about eight to ten ways that you can listen to this show. That link tree also has the links to our YouTube channel, and let me tell you, there are some gems 
on that YouTube channel. I'm not going to go on too much of a sidebar on that right now. If you like Climax Scots and you like history, you're going to want to go to that YouTube channel. And let me tell you, there's a lot more cool stuff coming to that too. Also on that link tree, you're going to see a couple links up at the top that pertain to supporting the show. Now, this show is free to listen to, and nothing about that's going to change. It's not a free show to produce, but it's also not that expensive. So I've had a few people reach out and say, hey, how can we support the show or anything like that? If you want to, if you're able, I'm not here to guilt trip anybody. If you want to, great. If not, keep listening. The show's going to come to your devices anyway. But there's a couple of t-shirts there. There's a new version of the Climax The Good Life Classic Tee. There's a link to buy that shirt if and you want one. There's also Climax The Podcast, the t-shirt. Yep, that's a thing. That link is there too. Or if you want to make a monetary donation, there's a link there. But like I said, this show is not about lining my pockets. In fact, anything, if I make one cent over what my out-of-pocket costs were, I'm just going to donate that to Prairie Historical Society. This is not about making a cash grab. This is just trying to offset costs if it can happen. If not, it's all part of my love letter to the small town. And I think that's enough yakking for right now on the upfront business. We've got one last little bit I'm going to tack on at the end, a little message from the guest this week that I'm going to put after the conversation. But right now I'm going to transition out of studio, which looks suspiciously like my basement, all the way to Augusta, Michigan, where I got to sit down with the longest tenured teacher in Climax Scott's Community Schools. I hope you enjoy this episode, Song of the Lark, with my guest, Lark Murphy. Welcome to Song of the Lark with our very special guest, Lark, a.k.a. Don't Call Her Mrs. Murphy, unless you're in her class right now. That's what I've learned. That is correct. Well, Lark, let me just start with thank you so much for meeting me here. We've already been talking for probably an hour or more without the mics on and finally realized we should probably turn these things on. I know we're telling a lot of stories. (laughs) But it's already jogged. A, a lot of just fun memories and I, I think where I would just love to start off I thought it was true and you did validate it for me already you are currently the longest tenured teacher in Climax Scots. I am on the number one list of staff hires from 1988. Wow 1988 that's a lot of generations at this point because how many two generation families have you had at this point? Many. Like that's at least two and a half generations of swaggers. Yes. <laughs> we were talking earlier, uh, like what two generations of forwards? Yes. Uh, just so many, so many different families. But where I would love to start off, Lark, is I don't know that a lot of people know sort of your upbringing, and it's reasonably climax-like from the sounds of things, but where did you grow up? Because I know it was not climax. It was not climax. I was actually born in Detroit, Michigan, but moved a year later to Saginaw, Michigan, where my younger sister was born, and then we came to the Saugatuck Douglas area. So I grew up in Saugatuck, Michigan, right along Lake Michigan, beautiful resort town, totally dead in the winter. 
and I went through the Sagatuck schools, which is also a Class D, so it's very comparable to Climax. Now, do they still use the, the Class D, like the rankings for school size and things? For Now, is that mostly a sports thing? I don't know that I ever understood that beyond, okay, we have a tiny band and a tiny sports team. Well, the, the class size is generally associated with the school population of students. Okay. And so the larger the letter, the smaller the population. And then if it's two of the letter, that's not quite big enough to, like a double C would be not quite a B, yes, but a I, little bit cooler than a C. <laughs> I don't know of a double B, but I do know of double A's, which are super big A schools. Okay, and that's what I, you know, I'm about 25-ish years removed, mm, uh, maybe longer than that. Uh, I'm uh, an entire generation out of the school system now. <laughs> uh, but just, what a story. 1988. Yes. You've seen at least one change in that time. I've seen <laughs> hundreds of changes in that time. No, you've probably in... seen one this week. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen one today. <laughs> No, I've seen changes in coworkers and administration and superintendencies and parents and students and it's been a roller coaster ride. And even just talking about from my era of high school, ninety four to ninety eight ish, and just some of the situations you face now, there's just so many challenges. And something I, I want to go back to this right off the bat. We were reminiscing a bit about. I think we'd only seen each other face to face one time yes. uh, since my graduation and unfortunately that was uh, services circumstances that was for actually Robert Stoddard our mutual friend Diane Stoddard mm -hmm. who you taught with for many many years at yes. Climax Scots but I was glad I, I got to share with you at that point you'll probably remember do you remember the one unapologetically Lark Murphy line that I have told you I've used many times in my adult life oh yes <laughs> <laughs> you said that I'm sitting on your shoulder as yeah. you hear this. <laughs> your poor planning is not my emergency. <laughs> I cannot tell you how many times I have used variants of that over the years. <laughs> and the one I purposely kept uh, chambered until we turned the mics on is I have a phrase that's been very inspired by you because it was a conversation in the same ballpark of someone else's preparation or ill preparation wasn't quite there. My phrase uh, that some of my employees over the years have come to hate because it sounds condescending as heck, but darn it, it's also true, is have you tried trying? Yes, yes. <laughs> and if you haven't tried trying, would you like to start trying? <laughs> well, so often the situations I know from my perspective, and I would imagine you've seen this as a teacher too, they may come to you with what's a veritable list of instructions. Hey, the assignment says you should do A to do to B to do to C. What do I do? It's like... Have you tried that? <laughs> yes. I can go over it with you again. I'll use different words. And you need to ask questions. <laughs> questions are very important. And one thing that is also important, we've talked about it quite a bit already, is standards. And yes. I would dare say for my time in school, Mrs. Murphy was the gold standard of standards and well, where, where does that you. where does that and I mean that in the best way possible but where does sort of that come from when you go back to like 88 to now what's the evolution of the the iron-fisted standard of Lark well, Murphy come in I try not to be iron-fisted about it <laughs> but I do hold the bar high because if the bar is low 
that's exactly where you can have your students meet the expectations. And Ellen Pierce helped me learn to set the standard high. What a name. What a powerhouse, a juggernaut, I think I called her at different points, of CS education. Absolutely. And actually, I just learned, had a key role in you coming to Climax Scots. This is a great story. <laughs> yes, as a matter of fact, I'd been looking for a social studies position, and at the time, there was an abundance of educators, especially in social studies, but not that who were female. So. I had been calling and calling and calling about, and the current superintendent at that time, Ron Parker, finally was back from vacation and said, hey, interviewing's going on right now. Come on in. I rushed in after I cleaned up from the garden, and lo and behold, Ellen Pierce is on the interviewing committee, and she scared me to death. <laughs> As is tradition. <laughs> <laughs> the look, the non-smile. But she was actually the sweetest person that I've ever worked with. But she helped me to set that standard high. And now, tell me how close I am here. Glasses on the end of the nose? Oh, yes. So looking over the rims. Absolutely. Uh, chain on the glasses or with this, um, the like behind the neck chain? I don't remember that. Because I can tell you those would strike fear into the hearts of the, <laughs> the you know, most seasoned of soldiers at the right time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Pen in hand, not smiling. <laughs> yeah, It's funny you mention that because I, I have a lot of different circumstances where I interview people for jobs and things in my adult life. And I've always been told, like, I thought you were the most serious person in the world in the interview because you give them, like, nothing. Like, no emotional response, just wow. that. And I'm like, now that you say that, is that yet another thing I didn't even know I learned from Ellen Pierce? Maybe. Maybe. And there is a time and a place for being stoic. But it's scary during an interview situation. <laughs> Oh, on that note, we have, at some point during this first, we're calling it a season of the podcast, uh, we're going to do in perfect English, uh, tributes to Mrs. Pierce. Excellent. Anything you've got in the way of uh, an Ellen Pierce story, or maybe even some teaching she had for you, if she was kind of a, a mentor figure, and especially in those early years. Well, I was, at that point in time, we weren't assigned mentors like new teachers are now. And so I would just pop by her class or make sure I'm walking by her class to see what she's doing during my prep period. And you could hear a pin drop. What is she doing? How is she doing this? It was a, it was a mystery that became a miracle and something I've been able to employ. So just watching and listening. And I was able to get to know her much more on a personal level following her retirement. Something I remember about both of your classrooms, no wasted space. Oh. Every bulletin board, every board, and I mean, over the years, you've had chalkboards, dry erase boards. Heck, at this point, you may have a digital tablet screen for all I know in that I classroom. I do not yeah. have that. I do have whiteboards, and they all have something on them, and there are many different postings of reminders of procedures, etc. So it's just out there. Will you need to access information for the lunch menu? There it is. Our school schedule, there it is. And how much of that was out of your own pocket? I'm wagering a lot of that was, I know with Ellen, she and I had a conversation once before she passed about, I asked her something about what was your budget for those bulletin boards? Because she would have like those extravagant 
multi-layered like cartoon graphics traced cutouts boards and her response was an open laugh in my face I believe yes yes I was I can open laugh you or say 100 percent whichever but just know that I think a lot of listeners of this show would agree though I may not have known it at the time as often happens as you grow up and you look back and appreciate things like thank you for those efforts thank that, you very much because when you can be, sit here at a table at 42 ish whatever age <laughs> i may be right now well you're older than me now <laughs> what a plot twist that i wasn't expecting uh, but we're both young at heart we've yes, learned that we're course. both very young of at course. heart still the just the efforts and the there's almost a degree of like transcendence when even when i put out on the facebook page for this show who are people that you would like to hear? At that point, I think you and I had already said, okay, let's try to make this happen. But your name came up more than once from people of different generations. And I think that just speaks to the power of just life transitions of you may go into high school with sort of a warning of be careful about Mrs. Murphy. She's a bit of a stickler to I really appreciate Mrs. Murphy for all of those, all of that stickling. It is interesting because... It is not uncommon when a student is in my classroom to not appreciate what I'm trying to help them be, and that is a responsible person who can function entirely on their own, independently, in the real world. I don't get thanks until sometimes long after, but it is so great to see my students grow up into those responsible men and women have real jobs and families and loves of their heart and it just it warms my heart to see that knowing just how prepared us i think a lot of people i'm going to backtrack a half a second i think a lot of folks may look down their nose a bit at smaller schools smaller towns uh, we were talking earlier about how neither you or i can quite relate to that prototypical hollywood experience of oh one kid in a sea of 1200 kids we we're like, yeah, we, I was one kid, and those five over there, well, that's Jesse, Scott, Suzanne, whoever it might be. Very true. My husband graduated with over 300 kids from his high school in Holland, West Ottawa, which is now too big and is divided, when I graduated with 52 kids, most of whom I started kindergarten with. And I love the small-town environment. Small towns have its pros and its cons, but the pros of working in a small community school are that you not only get to know everybody, you get to know everybody more than just who they are in the classroom. And when you have a student seek you out for advice or just want a hug, it makes, it makes the day. It really does. Now, what is your current curriculum? Because I believe in, in my day, <laughs> civics, U.S. history. I feel like U.S. history ebbed and flowed from you a couple of times here and there. Yes, it did. Then world cultures at that time was like the junior curriculum and then government. How similar or dissimilar is today's curriculum to my golden age? Well, back in the day, I was teaching all of those different courses. It's changed a bit with the state of Michigan curriculum. Civics has kind of dissolved, geography has kind of dissolved, but they've merged into other disciplines. So I currently have two U.S. history courses typically taught to ninth graders Okay. that incorporate geography as well. In the sophomore year, I have world history, which also incorporates geography. 
In the junior year, I have one semester of government, which does that whole civics deal. Okay. And then one semester of economics, which is not only big picture, but personal finance as well. Okay, gotcha. So is that kind of a merger of like life skills and government from back in the day a little bit? A little bit. I try to make it as real life and applicable as possible because if you can't relate to it, you can't grasp it. And that's something, again, in hindsight that I can appreciate is I don't know how many people in the world, maybe it's more than just my group of friends I'm still in touch with from Climax Scots, but a lot of us talk often about how vividly we remember like the devils in the details kind of stuff from, and particularly from English, mm -hmm. social studies, mathematics, for those of us who are math heads a little bit, and from English. And I don't mean to throw that as a, uh, I didn't, I said English, I meant band. And I don't mean that as a slight to any teacher of any of those other curriculums, but when you think of folks like Lark Murphy, Ellen Pierce, Doug Robinson, Diane Stoddard. I'll throw Dale Smith in there. To this day, my Spanish that I'm able to kind of get through Spanish-speaking situations with comes from Dale Smith. Yes, <laughs> it does. It does. Well, it's just if you can make those details and those nuggets, those memorable points, relatable to your life and your future, they'll stay with you. And now how, so 1988 to now, what, what's the quick math here? So that is how many years in the Climax Scott system? 34 years in the same room. <laughs> it's, is that a career or a punishment? Um, a career. Yeah, I, a career. I dare say so. In fact, one of my first conversations when we sat down was, are you still in the same room, the last door on the right on the uh, eastern wall of the school? Yes, quick escape. <laughs> now that almost was going to be where the new gym was. Wasn't um, that one of the potential places? At well, least they didn't take your view away with all of that. <laughs> I have the view of the greenhouse roof shining in my eyes in oh the dear. afternoon. <laughs> um, but it made sense to put the auxiliary gym down closer to the cafetorium and uh, revisit and refab the main entrance. And I, I'm looking forward to either tonight or tomorrow. I'm hopefully going to get a chance to walk through the school. This you haven't been yet? I think the last time oh. I actually walked more than, say, just like the cafetorium area for a Memorial Day brat and craft fair kind okay. of a thing. Uh, the last time I was probably in the halls was in the summer of 99, a year after I graduated. I worked under Dan Zook as a janitor in okay. the schools. All right. And that, but even that, that was basically no different than my day. That was maybe another layer of dust on some books on a top shelf somewhere. That's right. That's right. Well, with the renovations, everything was cleaned out and stored and then moved back in, at least what would fit. And then with COVID <laughs> protocols and social distancing and... It was different. And that's one thing that I thought would be probably a good meaty chunk of this podcast, because when I think of all the great memories, personal connections, and things that, like I've said, my, my generation kind of calls back to her, maybe not the forefront of our mind, but with a quick jostling can be brought to the front. But then you throw in a global pandemic and remote learning and things, and I can only imagine the tip of the iceberg of what the challenges must have been for you in that, even with... 30 at at the time of the pandemic 36ish years of education experience behind you walk us through what that was like going from a class of 15 to 30 kids to is this thing on <laughs> <laughs> yes yes well it was um 
unique, and yes, you can teach an old dog new tricks. I had to learn so much that year of the pandemic. I have never taken a computer class. I'm totally self-taught. I had to learn how to use Google Classroom, Zoom, um, another different grading program, and the last, let's see, last year, no, excuse me, two years ago, we had an online program in case we had to go out again, which we did a couple of times, Edgenuity, and then two years ago, we've got new social studies curriculum, which I worked with in all three of my, well, actually four of my courses, and still doing Google Classroom, and learned a new Power Schools grading attendance program this year, so it's a constant learning curve. So you almost have like a secondary, or I shouldn't say a secondary, an additional degree on top of your other degrees you had already acquired. Online teaching is not my fave by any stretch. I really like the human connection, looking at people in the eyes and seeing them, not just a blank screen with their name on it. That's part of the reason I wanted to see if we could meet face-to-face while I'm home for the holiday here is you and I ultimately could do this conversation over a Skype or a FaceTime or something, but there's just something lost of that. The genuine joy we had when we locked eyes out in the parking lot, seeing each other for the first time in, well, probably 10 years without yes. a funeral involved. Yes. And just the everything that just kind of floods back, the, the various connections. And I can say I'm, I'm the same way. I'm not wired to work from home. Like I had a couple different jobs uh, as I was kind of learning my new life after COVID closed my business mm-hmm. and things like that. And I'm just not wired to talk to people I've never met in a lot of cases on a Skype screen or a Zoom screen. That's tough. Like, yes. Especially when you're small town, small community, that personal connection. Mm-hmm. Now, how much do you think... Do you think you would have had any longer or shorter of a career if you were in, say, comparatively, let's just say like a Portage Northern school district, a much bigger school district in the area? Yes, most likely. I substitute taught for four and a half years, so I was quite literally in every junior high when they were called that, middle school (laughs) and high school in Kalamazoo County. And I've been in the big schools, not a fan. Um, I would have done my time and been out. So the longevity has been much greater for me at a small home-based school where I get to connect with generations of people. Parent-teacher conferences are very interesting <laughs> with a former student as a parent. What percentage would you say, ballpark, of your students in the last, let's say, 10 years have been a scenario like that where they're at least the second generation of well, that I'd, bloodline? I'd stretch out that out to 15. Yeah. I'm just trying not to age either one of us too bad here. <laughs> I'm trying still to do us both than you, Kevin. <laughs> I'd stretch that out to 15. But it is interesting because a parent will come in and they'll be seated with my current student and they'll say, You know the system. I know the system. It is what it is. <laughs> 25 years later, Lark still got me over a barrel here. <laughs> It's funny, they can't call me Lark. They keep calling me Mrs. Murphy. And it's like, there is a time, and there's only one student who has done this. And it was a swagger. (laughs) Of course it was. (laughs) Right after graduation, I was thus dubbed Lark. (laughs) I remember when we were at the services for Robert Stoddard, out of just sheer habit, 
hello, Mrs. Murphy. And I believe your exact words were, Kevin, how old are you now? And I think it was 35, 36, whatever it was. Um, let's say 35. You're old enough to call me Lark. He basically almost wagged a finger at me and said, you're a grown man, act like it. <laughs> yes, Mrs. Murphy, I mean Lark. <laughs> That's probably the single hardest part of this podcast recording is remembering to use Mrs. Murphy in the context of school stories while still calling the person in my now friend in front of me there we Lark. Go. There we go. And I, I do want to touch on the fact that as much as there are things I don't love about social media, and we've had some talk off the microphones, a bit philosophical about mm-hmm. social media and the internet and good things and not so great things. But I have thoroughly enjoyed, like through Facebook, I've still knew some details like about your kids. Like I remember the day you went on leave because Alex arrived right. or when Cassie arrived. And what, so how, how was band? Did they graduate? What are they in? Yeah. And to me, that's been a joy to still be able to see the, the thoughts and musings of my high school social studies teacher and to just to keep that connection to community and to me from the student standpoint that has been a godsend to like this podcast wouldn't be happening right now Mm -hmm. without Facebook but how has that connection been for you to see different students kind of what they've gone off to be become oh that is that has helped me solidify the knowledge that I have taught some great human beings the lives that my former students lead now, they're amazing. They're so diverse, and I'm so proud of them. And going back to those school days, you always treated kids like people. I never felt like I was you know, young man or lesser person. You, you mentioned earlier, trying to prepare them to be functional adults in the world. And when I look back at, for as much as I can remember, okay, yep, my heading had to be these three lines and on the right <laughs> margins and some of, you know, some formatting things. But I equally remember us bonding over things like our mutual love for Rocky Horror. Oh, yes. Where we, <laughs> under very interesting circumstances for a then 14 or 15 Kevin and a, that you know, circa 1994 Lark Murphy, do you want to tell your side of the story of the time we ran into each other out, out of school the one okay. time? Okay, this is one of the many times I have frequented the Barn Theater for the Rocky presentation. And much to my surprise and delight, I see two current students dressed for the occasion. <laughs> and I'm just going to say, I'm glad I wasn't. <laughs> I remember those two people were my sisters. Mm -hmm. I was not there for this trip. But to me, this is just one of those that's so climax stories. (laughs) So I go into my freshman year, sophomore year, high school or so, and I had it in my head, oh, Mrs. Murphy likes Rocky Horror. So I bring you a picture of me in full Frank and Furter regalia. And if you don't know what that is, maybe don't Google it at work. Um, (laughs) But what a small town thing. Like if I did that in a modern day large school system, I'd be institutionalized and put into like five different therapy programs. You would be at least out of school suspension. (laughs) But it's like, it was just fun. Like Rocky Horror is a fun little campy thing and it became a bonding point for us where the barn would do it about every other year or so at that point. They've been doing it every year the last three. Sounds like somebody's still scratching a Rocky itch here and there. On the spot, favorite Rocky Horror number? Oh, time warp. Just just the party scene time warp. It, it's hard to argue with the classics. And, and I have a confession that 
one of my go-to karaoke jams is Sweet Transvestite. Really? And I do not tone it down <laughs> at all. Good for all. you. Shocking as that may be for you to hear. Do the dress for the occasion. Uh, if I knew in advance, a lot of times karaoke is not the thing you plan Correct. for. You're just like, oh, like where we are right now, they could pop a karaoke monitor up and I'd be like, hey, Lark, check this out. <laughs> but just the, I think that emphasizes the human touch of sure. how many schools would have no idea if you even had said the words Rocky Horror in that order. Or can I even mention that? It's, it's the small town has its more charms than things to look back and go, hmm. Yes, I mean, this podcast true. exists from a standpoint of loving this community. Correct. And for as much as either of us can think of, did we miss out on this or that, we're both very aware of how much more we got, how much more enrichment we got from basically tailored attention. Mm-hmm. Like, do you, what's the average class size of some of the bigger schools in the area now? Now that well, they're back in you school? Well, you know, I haven't been in a larger school classroom for 34 years, so um, I can say that 25, 30. At least, I would right? guess. Yeah, I used to have 30. Now I have 25. And that's got to be a, if you've got 25 now, that's a bit of an uptick then because Climax enrollment was down in the early 2000s, right? Mm-hmm. School classes probably around like 15 to 20 for it, a number of years. It kind of roller coaster rides. Um, I've got my two freshman classes. They tend to be the largest. Um, I've got a 23 and a 25. In my world history, I've got a 22 and a 24. And my government classes are the lightest loads I carry, and they are bookends. They're they're at the beginning, at the end of the day, so it's lovely. <laughs> oh, and I, as much as at first I was like, why is that blank? Oh, wait, nope, that makes sense. People have babies. They have different things come up. Maybe they don't make it through school, and it's... It, I feel like at a school like Climax, you're just so much more aware mm-hmm. of those things because almost everything's under a magnifying glass at Absolutely. all points. Absolutely, a microscope. But how great is that? Like, it's when you have parent-teacher conferences, I can only imagine how, to a degree, I don't know if redeeming's the right word, but to be able to pull out that, <laughs> you know, Mr. Insert last name here, I have not changed this method in the last 25 years or however oh, long since you've been I've in school. I've changed, I've modified, I change every year, and if I don't change, that's the time for me to go. But I still have kids write their heading. <laughs> <laughs> that was one thing I wondered is, did the heading go away? Like, is there even physical paper that gets turned in there anymore? There is, actually. In fact, um, I find the more use of technology, the more disconnected the human soul is. And so I prefer the face-to-face, the discussions, the um, paper pencil. Does it take time? Oh, hours. Yes. But I'm in it to win it. Still have an analog lesson planner? No. <laughs> A part of me just died. Just I'm, I'm, <laughs> I've been doing um, plan book EDU for years. I was, my hand was forced. I had to use it. And so I think I'm one of two teachers still using it. And it's so much easier because, you know, it's like, okay, I don't have time for this. Flip here, cut, paste, move it around. It's a lot easier. A <laughs> little less clutter. Yes, Maybe absolutely. Less clutter. Absolutely. What are some of your favorite memories? I know you have worn so many different hats beyond teacher. I, even in just my own time, your student council advisor for at least three, if not four out of four years. Actually, I was for eight years. Okay. 
Yeah, because I thought, oh, you know what? I have that thought of you weren't for a bit because I'm thinking of when Cassie came. That's right, right. I had to step aside for my kids, you know, and it hasn't always been my kids first, but I've got hundreds of kids every year. <laughs> I do. <laughs> what other hats have you had beyond that? We'd mentioned earlier, or you had mentioned in our conversation earlier, union president? Yes, for the yeah. last five years, and um, that's an interesting position. <laughs> Because they get to sit in on a lot of different types of meetings. <laughs> now, what are some of the other hats you've worn over the years? Well, I um, haven't coached softball. I used to coach softball a lot. That's right. For Little League, yeah. And I coached uh, my daughter for six years. And I'm going to say it's not just her natural playing abilities. It's got to be a little bit with me. But she made varsity at Gull Lake and is a ninth grader, so... There's that. But I'm a, I guess I would say I'm a mentor to some. Kids can come in and talk to me anytime they want to. I'm there before school. I work during my lunch. Drop on in. You got a question? You got a concern? You just need a hug? Hey, here I am. I'm happy to hear that, and I'm hopefully going to be happy to have some students hear that because I know at least two parents with kids currently in the school system with more or less told me I'm forcibly making my children listen to your podcast to get some of the stories of who they are assuming I'm going to have on. Uh-huh. But I hope that some students do find their ears on this because that, when either of us think back to whatever, however long it was ago that we were teenagers, <laughs> but it, that can be a scary leap sometimes. Oh, if I need someone raining. to talk to, the right answer isn't maybe mom or dad, who's that adult that I can trust. And sometimes the teachers have this mystique or almost a a pedestal effect because you are literally on stage in front of the the kids every single day but I think that's that's so great to hear because I don't think that's something teachers always get the chance to say that's true that's very true in fact you know every once in a while there's a kid that just kind of hangs back everybody's gone to lunch it's like what can I help you with I just need a hug you got it you need another hug? Yes. <laughs> Just so many examples of, when I think of almost any things a kid could be going through scenarios, I can only imagine you've seen just about every flavor, like every color in the crayon box at this oh, point. There's some scary stuff that goes on out there in kids' lives. There really is. And sometimes they feel like they don't have a safe place to turn to. And, of course, as a reporting agent, as an educator, if it goes to this place, they'll know right up front from me that I have to take it further. But they're more than able, if they are willing, to share their story with me. And how many young teachers have you probably done the same for over the years? Because I can imagine for somebody who maybe didn't have the small town upbringing that we both did before being tied to Climax Scots, I would imagine there's a few teachers who probably had to say, Lark, what's the deal here? <laughs> oh, I, you know, whenever we have a sub in the building, and they're usually our normal subs, which are very few and far between, I always check in with them to make sure they find everything they need, they have everything they need, and they know where I'm at anyways, because I'm in the same room. Um, but with new teachers, I've been assigned a number of mentor teachers, and with the requirements these days with the state of Michigan, if you're a brand-new teacher, you have a mentor teacher for three years and 
you document and you touch base periodically and you know in the small school environment you can drop by literally to anybody to ask any question anytime yeah it's not a pool of 300 teachers it's like no. even in the entire junior senior high school it's probably what 12 to 15 teachers yeah all we've, in? yeah we've got oh yeah around that so I'm just trying to think of even the school. I'm visually walking through the 1995 era yeah. <laughs> hallway. I'm like, okay, on the left, Pierce, then kind of rotating other English teachers next to there, across the hall, science labs. Then you had what used to be Dale Smith's classroom and then the adult education office, library, turn that corner, art room on the left, mm -hmm. uh, Robinson on the right, mm -hmm. special education across the hall, and yes. then... me, and then... It's fluctuated across the hallway from me. We've just hired a, another um, math teacher. And so she'll be starting the second semester. Talk about big shoes to fill, too. Yeah. Well, um, our junior high person from last year has moved into Doug's position. Okay, gotcha. And so it will be the other high school junior high math position. Okay, well, got it. Well, more high school. Just, I mean, when you look at... As much as to us, that's our big whole world. Right. Th that's like a what a fifty-foot run hallway. Right, it's it's right. not exactly you know a planet. And we have five minutes between classes. Don't tell me you're going to be late. You can't get lost in this. Five place. minutes. Five minutes. Is that five. crazy? I can go down with my short little legs to the office, talk to somebody, come back, let all my students in before the bell rings. So if I can do it, they can do it. <laughs> Now, you mentioned office. So is the office now to what you and me was the old superintendent's office? Hmm. Because there's the old, old office, which was a teacher's lounge which last night. Which is the teacher's lounge. And then and there then, was the office kind of at the top of the stairs before it goes down yep, to the gym. So yep, that's still the office? That's still the office. And the soup's office is out of the building and just around the corner outside of the, on the other side of the wall from the weight room. Gotcha. And then that's where the old bus garage used to be was kind of over there. Yeah, the bus garage is still across the driveway from there. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the reason I wanted to go down the rabbit hole of Office Plus, hopefully that was fun for listeners just to kind of walk through the hallways <laughs> of Climax Scotts if you haven't been there in a minute. Uh, administrations. You have seen a number of administrations. Yes. And I'm sure as a teacher you probably have many thoughts on both sides of coins, but we love to keep things positive and upbeat. I've got a guess, but who would be some of your favorite administrators from over the years? Oh my goodness. Well, Ron Parker, when he was at Galesburg Augusta, where I was before CS, um, he was a good superintendent. I have, oh my goodness, I've had so many principals through time. Our current principal is um, in his fifth year, and we've got a very good working relationship. But I've, I've had a number. Unfortunately, our school has been a stepping stone for not only teaching positions, but administrative positions. Serve some time, get some experience, and then go on to higher paying options. Yep. Even just example that comes to mind, Julie Cummins, mm -hmm. phys ed teacher, to athletic director, to assistant principal, to principal, to uh, principal. She was a counselor too, wasn't she? I don't remember that. I'm not saying she oh, wasn't. Oh, no, I'm I don't thinking remember. of Deb. Jarvis. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yep. Deb Jarvis was a, I think she just became a counselor during, uh, during my group's years there. 
uh, but just looking at all the things and transitions I saw in Julie in my like seven through twelve, yeah, and and ultimately getting why that was, and then she finished. Did she finish her career in Albion? I am really not sure. We I, lost touch. I feel like CS. that's about right, but just just so many administrations. I mean, superintendents alone. Ron Parker. Then, let's see, who was after Ron Parker? I'm missing one somewhere. There's Pete Lazaroff in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Dr. Balcom for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. And then who's currently superintendent? I don't know that I know the name off the top of my head. Oh, really? Okay. I'm having a brain bubble. <laughs> I just talked to him. Doug Newington. I just talked to him t- yesterday. <laughs> and how long has he been in the system now? Um, I want to say... I think it sounds like he's in a prison of some kind. <laughs> The school system, it really the helps. One more word changes yeah. the scope of that entire sentence. <laughs> it sure does. Um, I'm going to say eight years, maybe? No, wait, no, he's over 10. Maybe 11 or 12. And then who are probably, who's on your coattails for longest tenured teachers? Because I feel like it's a pretty big delta between you and second it place is, now. It is, and I think it's someone at the elementary. And I don't know right off the top of my noggin. Well, through the miracle of editing, if it comes to you, I there can put that go. right back <laughs> right back in this place. I've got the list somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I think the elementary would be the biggest thing that would throw me off because aren't they – what buildings are even in what – or what grades are in what buildings now? Okay. Because I know the intermediate school to people my age is no longer an educational facility it's at this point. It's a storage facility right now. The elementary has K through 5, okay. and they're in Scott's. And then the junior high wing has sixth through eighth graders, although they do travel into the senior high wing for science and math. Okay, and makes art sense. Courses. The labs over there, that mm-hmm. makes sense. And then um, we have the senior high with nine through 12. And what's the total enrollment ballpark in the uh, junior senior high school building? We're a little over 300. Wow. I think. That's a lot of enrollment because yeah. I, I believe in back in my day. I think grades 7 through 12. Oh, I know it was grades 7 through 12 at that point. I believe total enrollment was just under 200. I want 180 sticks in my head for some well, reason. Well, we've become a school of choice. And so we're drawing students from Galesburg and Battle Creek schools and Athens and Vicksburg. Well, holy cow, that brings up a whole other can of worms. Are there, and I may be wrong here, and like I said, I haven't lived in Michigan for 20 years. Are the... Are the boundaries almost off the table now? Because it used to be you had to live within certain miles to yes. go to this school. Boundaries are gone. Unpack that for me because that's, okay. that's mesmerizing. What you have to do is fill out an application. You have to be able to have a spot open at whatever grade level the applicant is coming in at. And that's never been a problem for our school. <laughs> and so um, you apply and the parent is responsible for transportation to and from school. So we're not doing busing out into the sure. hinterlands. And um, regular bus runs go, and then those those are within the school boundaries. Wow. That is, to me, that's partially mind-blowing, but also so fun. Because I think growing up, I had a couple of friends in the Athens school system, but mm-hmm. we dealt in the concrete absolutes of, nope. Mm-hmm. She goes to Athens, he goes to Athens, I go to Climax, and we all met at Jackie Longman's house on the weekend. Yeah, I I believe that. (laughs) I mean, we have a combined C.S. Martin wrestling team. Yep, I I do know that. And Jason Wade, coach, Yes, a former student of mine. 
do they still have, um, at one point I know Climax and Galesburg was merged for track and field. No longer. Because I thought both schools, we basically, both schools did that out of necessity due to lack of student interest mm -hmm. at the time. I mean, hell, my senior year of football had no varsity, or my senior year had no varsity football team. Really? Do you remember that I did year? not remember that. Yeah. My, We've gone to eight man for a few yeah. years now. But I believe it was, I always think of, uh, there was a newspaper headline and I want to say one of the Christopher Guest films it said something like closed due to total lack of interest oh, no. and that's what I always remember <laughs> that for my senior year football team oh. uh, because I think the only one in, in my grade that went out for football or would have was Ray DeLeon the other athletes were more focused in like let's go more all in on baseball and basketball oh, okay. so for me one of the biggest things that blew my mind post-graduation was how did we go from not enough people caring about football in 1997 mm -hmm. to state champions in like 2004, I think, 04, 05, somewhere in there? Like, what a credit to Kevin and the program that he correct. built up there. Very correct. But yes. to go from can't even get enough people to like mm. make a play to state champions, right. that's power of small town. Now, throwing the clock back 100 years to when I was a boy, <laughs> we were just really, I think, sticking the toe in the water for dual enrollment, where uh, I'm probably oversimplifying this because I was not dual enrolled, but some kids would go to um, math and science centers, some would go to colleges. I believe it was only KVCC at the time, because I don't think KCC counted because of KRISA at the time boundaries, maybe. Oh, KCC counts now. Okay. Well, it so, sounds like there's basically no rules anymore yeah, well, other than a, an application <laughs> process. <laughs> but a lot of kids are able to um, get some college courses under their belt before leaving high school. That's not costing they or their family any money. And um, there's also the program, Early Middle College, where a student is enrolled in our school for five years, but yet taking college courses while they're enrolled. So they're basically like a college junior by the time they're out of high school. Pretty much, pretty much, yeah. I got my doctorate at 21. <laughs> I don't want to know how much I had to pay for my bachelor's and master's programs. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's just, even thinking how much that changed in my years there and how much after the fact that yeah, dual enrollment's a thing. Mm -hmm. Is block scheduling still a thing? That seemed like a no. doomed to fail experiment oh. from the start. No. We had to be one of the first schools in Kalamazoo County to try it. Personally, not a fan. It was very difficult to not only keep the schedule as an adult, but have the students know what classes they were supposed to be going to <laughs> on what days. And if a student missed a block schedule, it was like, oh my goodness, how am I gonna get you caught up, honey? <laughs> and on top of that, block schedules for some curriculum was very counterintuitive, like for band. When you're preparing for festivals and things like that, you're only getting two, maybe three rehearsals because if I'm remembering correctly, the block schedules would be more or less, you would have Monday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday. I'm trying to remember, the Wednesdays were like a smaller class of everything, but also a half day. Oh, Does that I'm, sound about right? Like 30 yeah, minute classes and then out by 1230? In terms of scheduling, it was very difficult to schedule. And then implementing the schedule, 
and then staying on the schedule and then getting kids caught up for the schedule. There's a lot of attendance issues even today. It seems like more now than earlier, but it is what it is. I mean, if a kid even had, say, an orthodontist appointment mm -hmm. and they had an AM civics class, that's like missing half to two-thirds of your week of civics yeah. because you had a dentist appointment. Right. Whose bright idea was that? <laughs> I, I, I'm not even going to go there, like, It was not mine. And I don't think it was anyone even in the Climax school system because I, granted, through the filter of a child's eyes at the time, I seem to remember that being something Kalamazoo at large was wanting to do. So we jumped in feet first. Yep, jumped in feet first and still hit our heads. <laughs> and then we climbed out of the pool real quick thereafter. Yeah, because I don't remember that that lived very long, because it, it was there the entirety of my years. And I think, God, uh, this is like an acid flashback or something here, or so I've been told. Yikes. Uh, <laughs> the block scheduling, I think the intent was to improve assessment scores, like the meat tests at that time, I'm sure it's changed by now, but the Michigan Educational Assessment Program. Yes. And because we had, uh, in the morning there were, they called them enhancement classes. So it was basically, if you're not doing too hot in social studies, you Show had up. an hour with Mrs. Murphy <laughs> in the morning. Uh, yeah, because I think that was the intent, was to yes. focus on the problem areas for the state. But the difficulty with that is, if we are, teaching to the assessment are we missing teaching my humble opinion yes indeed and there's a lot more about education than just learning about a subject area a lot more when I ask my kids have you heard that um, this is going on in the news it's like no what are you talking about so you're trying to make those current events connections with what you're studying, and it's like... I remember on the topic of current events, at least twice in my education, one of them was in your World Cultures class, and a lot of this comes with smaller communities, smaller budgets, you were teaching about the now former Soviet Union in the context of a book still talking about the Soviet Union. Yes. How many of those examples have you seen over the years? Oh my gosh, every time I change curriculum. The last time I changed curriculum, and that was over, um, let's see, three years ago we did that. We implemented two years ago, but it, we needed to present the curriculum after we researched, priced it out, all that. And when we presented to the board, our current principal presented the information. I was on a Zoom call. I was up north at my in-laws Lake Charlevoix home, actually sitting in the car because it was too noisy inside. And I'm I'm zooming in on this on this meeting, this board meeting, and two former students are currently on the board. And I thank them for their support for adopting and implementing the new curriculum. They said we don't need you don't need our permission to adopt this. I said, yes, we do because of the cost. <laughs> uh, but um, I thank you for that. And I'm sure you don't want your kids learning out of the same textbooks that you did because they were over 20 years old. And, oh, they were just held together with book tape, spit in a prayer. That's about it. <laughs> My textbook probably still had somebody's phone number in there. Well, um, <laughs> one of the... 
one of the former students said, yeah, I don't want my kids to read so-and-so love so-and-so. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Somewhere in there. Right. I was never actually one to write in a textbook. I was pretty kind to my textbooks. Maybe put a pencil inside one and ruin a binding Yeah, wreck the binding. Oh, Kevin. <laughs> I know you caught me at least one time doing at that. At least, at least. But it's not uncommon. It's like, hey, you've got papers in your book. Do you need a folder? Here. <laughs> I have 25 folders. Where are I they? Have in my them. locker. Oh, man. That's, that's, yeah. I've got a binder somewhere at home. <laughs> a kid said to me today, I found my planner after two weeks. Where was it? It was under my pillow in the bedroom. What was it doing there? I don't know. Neither do I. <laughs> Some of the stories we hear. Yep, a lot of, you almost long for the days of Dog Ate My Homework. At least that was a little more, okay, I get it. <laughs> that can happen to anybody. That could happen to anyone. Starting your wood-burning stove, mm, probably not a good idea. <laughs> now, here's a topic that I wanted to make sure we brought up. When I think of my years of high school and the various distractions we might have, a note passing here or there, some sneaky, or at least we thought it was sneaky, side chat that the adults weren't aware of. Hindsight, okay, you just gave us a certain length of rope before you pulled on it. Smartphones are in virtually every human being who has dexterity in their thumbs mm -hmm. <laughs> these days. Yes, how indeed. much has the smart, the ad, how much has the advent of the smartphone changed the teaching game? Well, this year is the first year I explicitly wrote it into my class syllabus. Your cell phones are not welcome in here. We've had a meeting. Administration says, keep your cell phones in your lockers. If you want to check them at your locker, fine. Leave them there. If a cell phone goes off in class, I'm expected to take it. Those are the those are the expectations and I'm there to fulfill the expectations and yes I turn out being the bad guy sometimes when I do that but I'm doing my job and uh, earbuds ooh, wireless earbuds you know they're listening to tunes they're jamming out during class and it's so obvious do they think I'm not quite with it yet What's going on? It's like, okay, so I have Ziploc bags. It's like, drop that earbud in there because I'm not going to touch it. <laughs> yes, I will put a note in there. I've talked to you about your earbud three times in the last two days, and you're listening to music in my class. Sorry, not my problem. There it is. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really, it's a problem because the amount of Instagram notifications mm -hmm. and TikTok notifications... It's like ping, ping, and the kids just know. If if they ping, I have my eyes on them, and they just sheepishly come up and give me their phone. <laughs> <laughs> but when I think of so many layers to that, like even implications in the cheating game for those oh, yes. who maybe are not on the up. I mean, right now I'm wearing a smart watch, and that makes me think somebody in could be texting me answers to a test or something. Just the, there's layers to that that I think people my age or maybe even like 10 years south of me would probably be like oh my gosh i've never never thought of that, that i'm way. i'm 10 years north of you and then some but <laughs> i do know of this i also have a smartwatch, <laughs> and i have had incidents with phone related cheating and i've caught them 
and they have nothing to do but say, yep, oops, my bad. Sorry, uh, that yeah, was a... Oops. <laughs> <laughs> oops, that was not your best decision. Just when I think about even just going to the grocery store, do you remember a time when we could go to a grocery store without four phone calls and like three Instagram posts? And I'll admit, I'm, I can be bad about that sometimes. But I just... The other day, uh, like two days before I came home, I was getting two or three things at a Meyer store, and I just happened to notice, because my phone was buried underneath layers of winter coat and such, how many people are like almost running into things or bumping into people, or just, they. you see so many people like go four hours past where they want, and then they put their phone down and go, oh wait, I needed peanut butter, and it's just well, such a distraction. It is, it, it's a distraction from human connection because people on their phones are not paying attention to life around them. And they can walk right on by what they should be doing. They can ignore people they shouldn't be ignoring. And this impersonalization of communication, I've really noticed a difference. I mean, cyberbullying, it's so easy to speak your mind to someone you are not looking at in the eye and seeing the hurtful expression in their whole body. And you can't take it back. You can't put butter over it. Take a piece of paper and crumple it up as tight as you can. Step on it, stomp on it. Now unwrinkle that piece of paper. Is that piece of paper whole? No. It's got wrinkles and crinkles and tears all over in it. And that is exactly what cyberbullying is. Plain and simple. Just the scalability of that, for people who maybe don't have kids or haven't had to deal with children in a teaching situation, I always say look at any celebrity's Instagram and just look at the comments. Uh, any celebrity, whether you like them or take somebody you even like or you think is fairly well liked okay boom I'm looking up this and then the cop some some random person with probably a burner screen name or like anybody can say anything because it's this consequence free environment and you know what somebody like I don't know The Rock can probably handle that or even has a team of people to handle that a team of people right? I'm assuming the Kardashians can either shrug it off or pay someone to shrug it off that is correct but now you put that on a Climax Scott's sophomore you put that on any teenager from wherever they are, and it is a burden they carry for the rest of their lives. It just, it hurts. Like, even uh, some of my own family and friends, when we talk about Climax Memories, it's largely good stuff, but every once in a while you'll get that, oh, I remember that one time somebody commented on my appearance in some way, and 20, 25, 30 years, a lifetime later, that cut's still pretty deep. Oh, yeah, it do- it does. I mean... I've got to be honest with you, I am not the good guy in some people's views because I hold high expectations, but darn it, those high expectations are going to make those kids better people, better human beings, and they're going to learn from the mistakes of the past so they don't screw up again. And I can dare say you did that with probably the majority of your students and she has no grade book in her hand this woman no longer has any power over me or influence (laughs) on my college decisions that is coming straight from the heart
Well, Lark, we are probably at that time where we probably should both go to our families because it's Christmas and stuff, but just thank you for this. This has been, before the mics were on, while the mics were on, this has just been a pleasure to catch up on so many levels as both grown-ups now. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I'm still trying to grow up, so <laughs> we're on the same plane in many ways, but it has been so enjoyable to see you and chat with you, and thank you very much for inviting me. Has been a pleasure. I really hope everyone enjoyed listening to that just as much as I enjoyed having that conversation with Miss Lark with Lark Murphy. I did have just two more things I wanted to put on here at the end at Lark's request. One of those was this is her 35th year at Climax Scotts. I think we might have said 34. Our math may have been a little bit off during the interview, but 35 years at Climax Scots. That is simply amazing. And the last little note is Lark wanted to share that she has been amazed that there have been so many of her former students who became educators for their careers. And with that, that puts a wrap on Season 1, Episode 1. What did you think? Did you like it? Make sure you hit those subscribe buttons and like us on all of these feeds. Leave us a review on those feeds. All of those things help get more eyes and ears on the show. Thank you for joining Climax the Podcast, Love Letter to a Small Town. We've got more in the pipeline real soon. Take care, everybody.